Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. I'm a senior director at CFGI, and this is the program where we dig deeper to understand what matters most in business. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to be talking about real estate investing, and I'm pleased to welcome David Hansel, who's the managing partner of Lucerne Capital Partners. David, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Good morning. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate you uh, having me on. Hopefully, the next half hour will be... Uh beneficial to all the listeners. I have no doubt. David, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and about your firm? Sure. I'll start from the beginning, but as you mentioned, I'm the managing partner at Lucerne Capital Partners. I got my start in real estate uh, in the early 2000s. I was a uh, casualty of the dot-com boom and got into the real estate business as a broker and started flipping houses in the early 2000s before the crash. And that's where the bug started, so to speak. Um, I met my business partner, Mark Colazzo, um, back in 07, and we launched a company called Alpha Funding Partners, which is a which is a private lending company that backs and funds real estate investors flipping houses, building new construction. Um, we've that business still exists today, um, and we scale that up from a kind of mom and pops to doing over a hundred million a year in short-term loans. And we learned a lot over that time and built a very strong retail investor base that took us into Lucerne, um, which was kind of a natural progression for us and uh, my partner and I and, and a new partner that joined us. Uh, Lucerne Capital Partners owns and manages real estate, uh, primarily multifamily value-add projects is what we invest in uh, up and down the East Coast with a heavy concentration in the Philadelphia um, market, along with the the Carolinas and, and Charlotte specifically. Um, so that gives you a little background of that. Um, I head up our um, our capital markets and raising and debt for the company, along with some of the on the acquisition team. Yeah, I'm going to have to have you back on at some point and talk about the house flipping thing. That sounds like it would be a fun topic to dive into. Yeah, everyone loves that, and it's like watching these TV shows and wake up the next morning and decide you're going to flip a house. But there's so much that goes into it. But it's oh, yeah. a, you know any business is a good opportunity if you understand what you're doing, you learn, and and you uh, you know put the right processes in place. Yeah, we'll save that for your next trip, or if we have a minute and a half at the end of the program, we'll say. But I want to want to talk about what you're up to presently. So when you talk about multifamily, just to parse that for the the audience, that's apartment complexes, right? Or is there more to it than that? Yep, you said that perfectly. Okay. You also mentioned the term value add. Now, value add is a term that I think everyone in business tries to aspire to, right, beyond delivering of a, a product, if you will, or a service. What's the value add mean in terms of what you're doing? Sure. So as you said, I mean, value add transcends every business and industry and really being able to execute on a value add strategy puts a lot of control in your hands and to create opportunity and take other things out of the equation or limit things such as the market itself. So, you know, in speaking to multifamily value add, what we do a lot of times is we'll look at an asset in a specific market and understand where there are inefficiencies or opportunities to make capital improvements that will effectuate the bottom line. And with any business or industry, assets or businesses trade on a multiple of some sort. And then real estate, uh, they trade off of what's referred to as a cap rate. And the lower the cap rate, the higher the multiple is because you divide that by the NOI, 
um, before any debt service, but basically you're trying to drive revenue to the bottom line. So not only do we look to increase rents, but we try to improve our clients' experience. That's our tenants, right? People, a lot of people in this industry look at tenants as a nuisance, but we look at them as our clients. Um, and so you want to find ways to make their lives better, but also improving revenue for you. And it can be through a lot of different avenues. Um, obviously, simple ones are renovating a unit that you study and understand that other market comps are getting achieving higher rents for certain improvements, like a brand new kitchen. Um, and I'll give you a number example, since yeah. we're on behind the numbers. Yeah, let's jump um, into the numbers, absolutely. So, I mean, to put it simply, I'll give you an example of, of a project that we did, and this is not dissimilar to a lot of projects that we do. Um, it was about a $500,000 capital improvement um, that netted us um, a valuation of, of almost 4x to, you know, 1.9 million. So a little shy of 4x. So how, how does that work? Um, so this was a hundred unit building. We looked at some improvements that could be done in the units to bring it up to speed with other comps in the market. Um, it was roughly a $5,000 capital improvement with new countertops and upgrading some of the kitchen floors and paint. And that was a $5,000 improvement, which warranted a $1,200 a year increase or $100 a month increase on those units. You say, well, that's not really exciting. What, how does that make so much money? Well, you multiply that times 100 units. That's an extra 120000 a year in, in net operating income. Um, I talked about the, the, the multiple in real estate and in the particular market that we're investing in, assets are trading for roughly what's referred to as a five cap. So you would divide that 5.05 uh, by the 120,000, it gets you 2.4 million in valuation. You have to subtract the half a million we spent, but you could see how powerful that is. And these things can happen. Um, you know, a good value add operator not only plans these things out in advance, when you're coming into a project and you understand what you're going to execute, but nothing ever happens in this world the way that you want it to. So you have to be looking at your asset on a weekly and monthly basis, understanding what's changing and happening in the market or taking a situation that comes about and figuring out a way to um, uh, turn that into an, uh, a win for the asset. And so it can be from energy efficient savings from lighting and low flush toilets to adding amenities like an Amazon hub for packages to come in um, to other technology with keyless entry, dog parks, trash valet, all kinds of different things where you can add services to improve revenue and give tenants a better feel. So um, that kind of touches on a whole bunch of different aspects of value add. Uh, yeah. Hopefully that's helpful. It's very helpful. And Behind the numbers, if you will, you know, cheap plug, right? But behind the numbers of what you just described there is you mentioned your focus on the tenant as a client as opposed to a nuisance. And I, I guess in, in some degree, maybe even a large degree, the, the things that you just described for this value add would drive occupancy. And my sense is that occupancy is one of the key components in ultimately driving your valuation for these units. Yes, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Without occupancy, you don't have income. Now, you 
when you're doing a value-add project, you may be taking units offline or maybe moving out lower rents that have been in place for a really long time to come in and improve a unit, which may mean your occupancy can drop during a period of time to get to that better place. Um, so you have to plan for that in your cash flow on an asset if you're doing a very heavy value-add. You wanna make sure that you have the capital to support the investment during that large capital expenditure output. And we plan that both on the debt side and equity to balance that out. Yeah, we'll talk about capital in a bit, but I just wanna jump into the idea of evaluating these opportunities. Cause I'm sure you see a lot of deals cross your desk. And when you're making the assessment as to where to put your money to work, what are the kinds of things that you're looking at? So uh, the old cliche or saying garbage in, garbage out. I mean, when you're doing value add, really, really digging in deep and understanding your local market, understanding economic drivers, understanding the political environment, the tax environment, these all are very important in understanding how your asset's going to perform and what headwinds or tailwinds you're going to have. Um, the things that we look for, and I mentioned in the beginning that we primarily are investing in the Philly market and then also down in the Carolinas with the heavy concentration in Charlotte. We also look at markets in general that have strong economic drivers, growth through business and industry and jobs, um, through infrastructure. Um, and, and there's kind of a natural, you know, uh, there's a natural movement in markets as they get tailwinds behind and, and continue to grow. And we look to get involved in those because those have the biggest delta between what's existing because a current owner may not have been, you know, they may have been complacent or they didn't realize that the market's been moving up so quickly and the tenant base is looking and expecting more as you get better paying jobs and things of that nature. Um, so essentially we look at all these different factors and we, we try and figure out where can we make a strong risk adjusted return that we create a buffer so that we protect our principal and our investors that that partner with us um and so there's a lot of thought that goes in and, and homework to understanding where to invest like we'll we'll obviously do full-on analysis and look through leases and look through comparables and tour other properties and understand what's happening yeah David, for the folks watching and listening, if they want to learn more about you or how they may be able to work with you in some capacity, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Sure. So um, probably the easiest way is through our website, and we have a couple different avenues to, to direct connect with us, but lucerne.com, that's not with an E, uh, at the end, L-U-C-E-R-N.com, and we have... Um, a very simple chat bot that directs connects with us and there's four options about what you want to talk to us about whether you're interested in looking investments with us or you want to source deals to us or just want to learn more about real estate investing that'll come direct to us or if you want to shoot an email you can go to info at lucernecapital.com uh, great on that note david don't go anywhere we're going to take a quick commercial break here pay a few bills uh, you watching and listening, don't go anywhere either. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers. This plus this equals this plus this and this. Don't drink and drive.
Listen, what will make your event simply beautiful? Is it your attire, your decorations, your entertainment? Well, join me, Alicia Simone, as I chat with some amazing vendors and clientele who will share their stories and images and their experiences. Right here on RVN TV, Tuesday at 11.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 4 p.m. It will be simply beautiful. See you then. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. Today we're talking about real estate investing with David Hansel, who is the managing partner at Lucerne Capital Partners. A lot of good stuff covered in the first segment. Don't want to waste any time here. I'm going to jump right back in, David. Um, we alluded to the idea about raising capital to fund these investments in the first segment. Now's a good time to, to talk about what exactly you're doing and, and how you go about raising that capital. Sure. So um, I don't want to say it was easy for us, but I talked about Alpha before, and we built that company off the heels of uh, retail investors that are long-term investors of ours. Um, and naturally, when we went in and started to invest in real estate, which provides better tax advantage to them as far as the income returns, a lot of them followed and it allowed us to grow rather quickly and build a very strong track record. But um, we, we, typically, we typically look at um, deals in two ways. We would either fund in what's referred to as a syndicated vehicle, where we come in and we acquire an asset and we go out and raise for that. We put up typically five to 10% of the equity side by side with our investors. Um, and then they would join us in the investment uh, and they would get their pro rata share of the income and the tax write-offs and the appreciation. Um, and then we recently launched in October a fund vehicle, which is kind of like a mutual fund uh, for multifamily value-add investing. Um, we did that for a couple reasons. One, it allowed us um, with the type of filing that we did to go out and, and open new doors and new relationships for uh, capital to meet new investors that have, want to have interest in exposure to real estate and learn more about that. So um, we're actually in the process of raising capital on this new fund that we um, targeted a $25 million raise and we're a little more than halfway there and ahead of schedule. But those investors participate on, like I said, a pooled uh, vehicle where they're getting exposure to multiple multifamily assets and other multiple geographic areas. So it really focuses on strong asset protection. And we look to achieve on these types of assets, low to mid-teen uh, annualized returns, um, really effectively like an IRR, but there's ongoing cash flow that comes to these investors. So it's a nice, it's a nice um, mix of both ongoing income, asset appreciation, and tax benefits. And yeah, and we have a very very good investor portal that we communicate and share details about how the performance of the assets or funds are moving. Yeah, and while this is certainly not without risk, uh, in a low interest rate environment to get that kind of a return uh, certainly has to be attractive. So good stuff. So for the folks who may want to be uh, interested in learning more about how they can invest with you in that vehicle, how can they do that? Sure. So same way as before is getting in touch. Um, you could shoot an email to info at lucernecapital.com. That's L-U-C-E-R-N 
capital C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Um, or you can go to lucernecapital.com and we have a chat bot that there's, you know, if you're interested to learn more about future investments, yep. uh, it makes it very simple. So David, let's talk a little bit about the impact of the, the global pandemic on your business. What's changed as a result of the pandemic and where do you see your industry going forward as we emerge from the pandemic? Sure. Well, if I could really give you the exact and proper answer, I'd probably be retired in an island, not, <laughs> not working here, but uh, I love oh, come on, you've I got do. a crystal ball, right? A little, a little joke goes a long way, but uh, you know, so there were some things coming into this pandemic, there was a housing shortage that certainly has not changed. Some of the problems for the real estate industry as a whole, which many of you can imagine or it's, you're well aware of, is occupancy. Now, multifamily is the lowest risk out of all real estate assets. If you think about your office space in retail, there's a lot of vacancies there, business and industry. People still need a place to live. And, you know, there are issues with um, rents and things of that nature. The assets that we focus on are more um, middle income, uh, medium income, uh, people that are looking to live in apartments and not ownership. Um, so I don't want to say we're immune to it, but we've been able to keep rents and our and our occupancy levels very high. Um, we are seeing in the Philadelphia market specifically, um, that the leasing velocity at the rate at which new units get leased has slowed down. Um, and I think as the warmer weather and the vaccine passes through, we'll see that open up again. But, um, you know, there's the underlying concern that, that, you know, there's a large outbreak again and shutdowns happen even in the face of the vaccine, um, which can, you know, generally challenge the market as a whole. But people will need a place to live. Um, and, you know, that, that kind of is what's happening. The other piece is that there's a lot of migration um, out of the Northeast um, down to the Southeast and not too dissimilar, like people from California are moving to Texas and Arizona on the North, on the East Coast, you're finding a lot of people out of New York moving down to the Carolinas where we're very active in Florida. Um, luckily, Philadelphia's remained rather strong and you know, it's too much to get into right now, but um, we've seen actually some migration from New York into Philly. It's not as densely populated. There's more shoulder room and there's the cost of living is considerably less. So it's an attractive alternative for people that want to stay up here. Yeah. I'm just curious. Are there markets that you, you wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole, so to speak? Are there anything that you're particularly shying away from? Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that uh, it's hard to to answer that question. I think really we're focused on the areas that we are comfortable in, not only that we feel that the economic drivers are strong, but where we've built a ton of resources to not only source deals, but to execute on them with third party um, folks that help us execute on it, be it contractors and stuff like that. I, I do think that, um, you know, to your question, Personally, we're not an investor in New York City right now. I'm not saying it's the worst place to go. You have to have a very long and patient capital if you want to go there because, you know, it's going to be 
pinned down for a long time and 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 the and the uh, political situation has created a lot of issues there um but you know rural tertiary markets are tough as well people uh moving out of those but we just stay focused on what we know and where we have our relationships sure uh, I'd like to shift gears just a little bit with you um, and, and go a little bit more behind the numbers again, if you will. Uh, when we were doing our prep call, we chatted briefly on this, but I, I wanted to kind of expound on it here and, and talk about what we would call your leadership philosophy. What underpins the core values of, of your team? Yeah, so uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm the greatest leader in the world, but I, uh, I feel like we've done a very good job with the businesses that we've run and and have made successful. And I think kind of the underlying philosophy that I've always uh, kept at the forefront and, and shared with my team and staff is that all we have to do every day is wake up and take care of each other, meaning the staff, the people that we work with, take care of our clients, which are in the in this business, our tenants and the and the vendors that we work with. Um, more, they're less of clients, but, and then the investors who entrust in us uh, and invest side by side to put capital to work with us. And I think that if every decision is guided by that, that good things happen. And we saw that with Alpha and we've continued to see that with Lucerne. Yeah, I want to ask you just another perspective as an entrepreneur, business owner, leader. Uh, you, know, you, you made the journey into, you know, beginning your own practice. And as you started to get the additional demands of outside investors, I, I have to imagine that changes the whole dynamic of an organization. What might you share with other entrepreneurs and business owners who are watching and listening in terms of how they should be thinking about growth and you know, managing the external constituents? Sure. I think some of the important things to consider is you know, you can't do everything yourself. You have to entrust in others around you and you have to build them up to be able to, to do that. I think, I think that you need to make sure that you are authentic, that you understand where other people are coming from and taking care of those needs are important um, and clear communication. Um, you know, you could look at any situation, you know, in terms of a customer service um, interaction that you've had where you were either frustrated or happy. I mean, not to knock on like a, a phone or a cable company, but for many people <laughs> complain about how painful it is, right? And oh, so yeah. you want to build systems and processes that when they walk away, that they feel that they had a good experience, even if it's something bad. You have to, you know, you have to share all information and uh, whether it's good or bad, the pros and the cons. And that really, that helps build a relationship because, you know, you want that in return, right? Like you don't want just everything that sounds good. When there's a challenge, you talk about it. When there's a problem, you recognize that there's a problem and, and sympathize that, you know, that I would be frustrated if I was in your position, but here's how we're going to resolve this. Um, and I think, that's super important. Um, I don't know if I answered it, if you were talking also about raising capital, 
I can touch on that too. No, you, you answered it perfectly. That, that's exactly spot on. Great advice for anybody who's watching, listening. Whether you own a business, whether you're in a leadership role, or any part of an organization, it's about those core values that you just shared. It's about authenticity and, and leading with empathy and transparency. David, unfortunately, we are out of time here, uh, but I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. Yeah, this is great. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And thank you at home for watching and listening to Behind the Numbers. We can't do this without you. So please do feel free to reach out to me if you'd like to connect. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Till next time, take care, everybody. We'll see you again on Behind the Numbers.